Well, this morning we're going to talk about the smoking gun. We know who done it because they have a smoking gun in their hand. The gun is in their hand and there's still smoke coming from the gun. This expression simply refers to this, the strongest possible circumstantial evidence. You maybe didn't see it happen, but you see the direct aftermath and consequences. And I got to thinking about how to illustrate this, and I figured here's a good way. I turned 40 this year. Some of you know that. I'm going to talk about that all year, by the way. It's my year of being 40. I get to talk about it all year. I'm older now. I'm seasoned. I feel very mature. I'm a real boy. I've turned from wood to flesh. And, uh, and one thing that's been happening is I've been gaining a little bit of weight that I didn't used to gain on the things that I used to eat. Hmm. How was that happening? To where shall I shift thy blame? And I saw this great little meme this week from a kind of a Christian comedian that some of you I know follow called Lloyd Legalist. Lloyd Legalist, he's funny. He says it this way, you know, brain cells die, skin cells die, even hair cells die, but the fat cells in my stomach must have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior <laughs> since they seem to have eternal life. And I sit there and wonder, why? Why am I gaining a little bit of weight? And then I look, and in my left hand is a huge burrito. And in my right hand is a fork with a piece of relleno on it. And there lies the smoking gun. So we come to the sixth commandment in that way. I mean, really, do not murder? Does anyone in here have a huge issue with that? Do not take a life? Do not harm life. In fact, positively stated, promote and care for life. And so the commandment, as is always the case with God's law, which is good, does surgery on our souls, begs the question of us in the sixth commandment, is your gun smoking? And to even answer that question, how are we to make sense of that in light of the literal meaning of the sixth commandment. I think in our text and in scripture, there are at least four ways, four things we need to understand that we might apply the sixth commandment to our own life here in 2021. The first is this, that we matter to God. We matter to God. And I don't mean for this, this, this isn't a cheesy hallmark thing. This is incredible. We matter to God. The only reason murder matters is because God isn't up there, you know, an angry white bearded dude with a huge white robe on a surfboard just waiting to smite people who break his laws. The only reason murder matters to God is because people matter to God. It is his nature to care, to redeem, to show grace, to save. And that's beautiful. We see this in the very beginning of the Bible, of course, in Genesis. God makes life. He didn't have to, but he did. God is the creator and not merely the creator of rocks and inanimate objects, but of life. And he, he makes the world in such a way that life can be fruitful and multiply, that life can swarm and fill the earth. He gives our first parents a tree in the middle of the garden. Eat of this tree. Come to me in my promises and partake of my bounty. I want to feed you. I want to show you my goodness. I want you to be full so you can go out and exercise this life that you have been given. 
Indeed, in God's very nature, he is a creator of life and life-giving. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. These three persons, eternally and perfectly, interpersonally related in love, and love gives birth to life. The pinnacle of God's creation of life is man, created in his image and knowledge and righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures. We are in his image and we are his image bearers, which means that all of those who are in the image of God, all people, all people have dignity, inherent dignity. Dignity is not conferred, somehow discovered hanging on a tree in nature, Dignity is not based on the condition of you offering the right sacrifices to the right God on the right day and hope that he likes you. Dignity is not a gift given to you on condition of obedience from the benevolent state. Dignity is inherent because it is a gift from God from birth until death, and that means all human beings matter. In the Hebrew, there are at least eight different words to distinguish and differentiate this idea of murder or kill or take a life. It's interesting because the the word used in the sixth commandment is never used for war. It's also not ever used for the execution of a capital crime in the Israelite theocracy. It is used mostly as a term that is designed to protect the innocent. Protect the innocent at great cost. Protect the innocent at great cost, individual and societal. This means that the Bible nuances these things, even down to the issue of carelessness. There's the story, of course, in the Old Testament about the gentleman who goes out to the field and he's swinging his axe and the axe head flies off and hits somebody and they die. That person is liable to the consequence of the breaking of the sixth commandment. That means when you go out to the field to do your work, you better check your axe head twice because it is your responsibility, individual responsibility, to care for others and not succumb to carelessness. Something that a few of the drivers on Santa Fe roads could take note of, perhaps. We are to be careful with life both as individuals and as a society, not in a heavy-handed way, but as a society that, that makes it as easy as possible for all life to flourish. That means we have handicap spaces and we build handicap ramps and where there's huge you know, issues on the street, we fill in those holes and at least theoretically we would do those things. And I fear for myself and for you all that at this point, you know, there's it's kind of a bit of a yawn, like, yeah, okay, don't murder, promote life, we get it, we've heard it before, but I think in part that's because we have drunk so deeply from a Christian worldview over the last hundred years in the world in which we now inhabit, that we are still living off, even if they be the last breaths, of Christian capital, because again, this ethic that the weak and the wounded and the powerless and the needy should be cared for at the cost and the expense of others is not something that one readily finds ubiquitous in nature, not at all. Nor was it found in the ancient Near East. This was a radical teaching that God, Yahweh, gave to his children, Israel. Included in that, and with humility and not wanting to do any straw man arguments here, this is not something that one finds in many of the major world religions. 
right? Do better, follow the advice, do what Confucius says, and if your life gets screwed up, sorry, that's your fault. Or perhaps we have a caste system, and geez, I'm sorry if you were born into the untouchables, but there isn't any sort of inherent dignity. What's inherent there is you were born into this, and better luck at the next reincarnation. This is a beautiful and radical prescription for how those who are rescued by God might be in relationship with him and with one another in the world. Sadly, it seems that even in 2021, with all of our pomp and circumstance, even with a supercomputer in your pocket, that that even 50 years ago would have taken up five buildings. We don't seem to be very good at this. I went onto the FBI website this week, and you know, they already know me, so whatever. Uh, There were five murders per 100,000 people in 2019, okay? The murder rate was down in 2019 from 2018 by 0.2%. Thank God, that's good. However, the murder rate was up 1.1% when compared to 2015 and over 5% compared to 2010. I mean, my goodness, how hard is it to get this right? And can you guess which state per capita is the largest perpetrator? California. But don't get cocky. Because Texas is number two. (laughs) I mean, jokes aside, why is this such a struggle for goodness sake? I mean, with all the education we have, all all, all the money, you know, all all the ability to to understand one another, and why can't we get past this? It, It seems like it shouldn't be that hard, and yet, in some ways, we're, we're no further past, you know, the sin of Cain and Abel in 2021. The Apostle Paul says this goes deep. He says it's not an, an issue of what's outside of us or extrinsic to us, but it's an issue of the heart, that the wages of sin is death, that we're born into a nature of sin, which means we love ourselves more than anything, which means unbridled, we might even for our own sake be able and willing to take another life. Or as James chapter 1 puts it, that when sin conceives, it ultimately gives birth to death. So what's really the matter here? And at this point, we kind of are diving into the extensiveness of the command negatively construed. Remember that there are sort of narrow and wide, both positive and negative ways to understand these commands. Or we could just go home because none of you, as far as I can tell, are murderers in the obvious and literal meaning. Oh, but it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, it seems simple. I mean, you're not saying that we we here, I mean, you and me, you very good-looking people, are somehow guilty of breaking the sixth commandment? You've got to be kidding me. And so I believe for us to really know our need in Jesus and to receive the fullness of his grace and love and for that to matter at all, we must immediately dispel with any notion of our own righteousness as we come before the holy law of a holy God. And we must dispel of our religious self-righteousness quickly. And so I included this week in our resonance on page three, two questions from the larger catechism that show us in startling ways just how deep and how wide is the meaning 
of the sixth commandment as we apply it to our, not merely what we do, but the need of our heart. So question 135, what are the duties required? You know, what does the sixth commandment really require? Well, all careful study and lawful endeavor to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of life in any way. By just defense thereof against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind. I mean, anybody struggle with that? Cheerfulness of spirit. Meaning, when we, when we go about without a cheerful spirit, continually, we're breaking the sixth commandment. A sober use of meat, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreation, charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speech and behavior. And to the person who could stand and say, well, I actually do all of those every day. Congratulations, you have met the duties required. But what about the sins forbidden? The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away of life of ourselves or of others except in public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, and now it gets personal, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, Distracting cares? Has this guy been reading my biography or what's going on here? Immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. And so I hope that you can see with me for our good because God loves us and wants us to be exposed in our need that he might meet it that the sixth commandment isn't about them and those people over there who are other. But indeed, in all these ways, the rabbit hole goes deep and it hits close to home. You can't come to Jesus. You can't have the grace of God through Jesus' Son by the Spirit if you stand before God with your chest puffed out saying, I'm fine. I'm righteous. I've got it. I don't break the laws. I'm good. You may not have looked at my life recently, God, but I, I'm actually, I've got a lot of things under control here. No, the work of the law is not to destroy us, but instead to dismantle our pretense, to dispel our righteousness. And Jesus does this powerfully in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where he stands before the religious folks to show them that indeed they are not justified. Well, Jesus, we haven't murdered anyone. Okay, well, what about anger and insults and dehumanizing words and thoughts? Got to put thoughts in there because some of us can make it look pretty good on the outside. Oh, when Jesus interprets the law to the religious folks, they are undone. He shows them in Matthew chapter 15 that it's the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's not just your circumstances. Again, that's too easy. But my boss, you know, tell me about it. I got to deal with this guy up here. Yeah. But my boss, but my life, you know, but my, but my friends, but my family, but my neighbors, but whatever you want it to be. And Jesus says, no, it's out of the heart that these things come. It's the heart that's broken. It's the heart that needs to be repaired, which is why no amount of, you know, to-do lists 
And life enhancement behavioral training can fix you. That's nothing but a thousand band-aids on a flesh wound. Jesus shows us that anger, our anger is a key way to understand the breaking of the sixth commandment, a murderous heart. Anybody out there with an anger problem? I shall raise my hand on all of our behalf. And I once heard someone tell me, and this is especially true for pastors, who you are at home is who you really are. Ouch. Some of us have an anger problem where we we build up and then we explode, you know, take control, lay down the law. Some, though, there's no explosion. There's just the simmering, boiling inside, the passive-aggressive expressions of that, the bitterness. Jesus says this is a root of murder. Insults are in there, too, which means gossip is there, slander, passive contempt. You know, you have people in your life who don't even know you've ever been angry with them, but man, is it deep. And the unwillingness to reconcile with those who have hurt you and you have hurt. Jesus says, if you even tell someone they are a fool, and by the way, this isn't just an insult. It's more than that. It's basically saying, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You are a fool. You are not with God. You are not with me. You're dead to me. Jesus says all of these things strike at the image of God. They they dehumanize. They undo life. And that's why the sixth commandment is relevant to us. Because when we allow anger and insults and coarse words to flow from heart to mouth, we strike at the dignity of those who are made in the image of God. Now, of course, these don't all have the same consequence. We know that. They don't all have the same consequence. Surely, if you literally break the sixth commandment in its direct meaning, there's a great consequence to that. Hopefully, you're going to go to jail. And yet, Jesus says, not so fast, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious folks. The root, the root is the same. And I think we really see this root as a tree a tree with bad fruit in our culture, a culture of me-ism. I am the center. It's all about me, my convenience, my wants, my needs, my desires, and oftentimes at all costs. Again, my rights trump all things. And Jesus commends to his followers, actually, that, that's the opposite of true covenant love. It's not that you don't have rights, but for those of you who are strong, who love the Lord, who are loved by the Lord, you are to use your rights and your strength to serve and bring life to the needy. Well, I don't like that. I want to, you know, I want me. I want comfort. I want fun. I want all those things too. And yet we have to understand that wanting those things more than anything Making those things a god or an idol is the definition of what is demonic. We heard last week from John that the Apostle John in his gospel, chapter 10 says that the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. 
So again, the sixth commandment and its injustice isn't something that's just out there. Your gun might be smoking too. At this point, of course, we, we cry out for help, okay? Wow, if, it's really, if, it, if it really goes that wide and that deep, where is our help? Where is our help? Because Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5, you're liable. Well, I haven't broken the sixth commandment. Okay, here's all these ways. And if you have, you're liable. Someone has to pay. If we're guilty, then someone has to pay. So who pays? It can't be God because God's law is good. God's law is a reflection of his good and holy character. Which is why I love the title of this book by John Owen. He's a Puritan. He wrote an incredible book on the work of Christ as it relates to our murderous hearts and the wages of sin, which is death. The title of the book is this, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Our only hope, our only comfort in life and in death for these broken hearts is that Jesus himself, in his perfect death, took all of our death and put it in its grave. So like the song that we sang, we we say with Peter, okay, where else can we go? Where else can we go? And if there's conviction this morning, perhaps about anger or slander or gossip, which by the way, my gossip usually comes in the form of a prayer request. We struggle with these things. How I wish we didn't. People that I'm not reconciled with. I mean, I would just even challenge us, which by the way, I don't want to. But I'm gonna challenge you and me. And I don't want you to ask me about it next week, but you better ask me about it next week. I don't want to do this, but we need to do it. Is there anyone in your life or in mine that we need to be reconciled with? That we need to forgive, to choose to forgive, regardless of what they do or how they do it or what they say? All of those things expose my need. And to that need, God speaks and sends his son. God sent his son, his perfect image, to be struck down for us. We don't use this term often, perhaps because of the way that it is weighted. We don't like the sound of it in our ears, but Jesus was murdered for us. He was taken in his perfection and given over to the full consequences of the law by lawbreakers like us for us, so that the death of death is only found in the death of Christ. That means not only do we get the life of Jesus, but onto him is placed our judgment. And friends, if that's true, here's the good news. Is there any accuser left for you and me? When we struggle with anger and malice and greed and envy and, you know, not having a cheerful heart, is there any accuser left? Is there one drop of accusation left for you and me? And the answer, because of Christ, is no. Where we may have guilt or grief, Jesus instead gives us a crown, his crown, as he stands in our place. And so Dane Ortland put it this way. I love this quote. He said, please hear this. God does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him again and again and again for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and true need and emptiness. No, friends, that's the whole point. That's why he came. He came to heal. He went down into the horror of death itself, murdered, 
and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply, a limitless supply of mercy and grace to people like you and me. So even as the law does its work to expose us, it is Christ who heals. It is Christ who takes consequence. It is Christ who bears the wrath, who gives the life. And now there is not one drop of accusation left for God's people. So what now? All right? We've come through the Red Sea. We've been saved. We've been rescued. Christ has saved us from sin and Satan and death. What now? We matter to God. We know what's the matter, our hearts, and we know where our help comes from. It's Jesus. What now? And here is where we, who are rescued, are able to redeem by grace the full meaning of the sixth commandment. Because all these do-nots beget many do's. And there's two big things here that I think we need to see. The first, the first needs to start with us. That's hard to do. Because I'd rather just talk at you people. Sheep. But I'm a sheep too. Just in need, just as in need of the grace of Jesus as you are. And so we can't hide, we can't run, we can't make the issues other. We need to, by grace, be the ones who repent, who turn from the death of anger and malice and gossip and deceit and contempt and unreconciled hearts and seared consciences, to turn from that death to Christ and to do it together, to do it in public, to do it brightly so that our city knows that God is real. We need to be the ones who cling to Jesus even as he is clinging to us, which of course raises the question, who goes first? Because most people that I'm frustrated with, I have a list of about six things I've done wrong to them. But then, of course, I have a scroll of the 490 things that they've done wrong to me. So who goes first? And here's where the power is. Here's what sets you apart from, from coming into this nice building and hearing a religious TED talk on a Sunday morning because that's how you grew up. This is where the power of the Holy Spirit is. Because that's an honest question. Who goes first in this thing of reconciliation when I've been hurt and wounded? And the way of the cross is you go first. You can't change them. You can't have any effect on how they'll react. But you can go first. You can go with Jesus and take the low place. You can move toward the brokenness of others because you have been healed in Christ. So first, we go. Secondly, and this is where our, our money goes, where our mouth is, our time, our talent, and our treasure, where we see life taking injustice in the world, we must step up to defend. Where we see life taking injustice in the world, we must step up to defend. And again, that means everybody. That means that we do not get the convenience of hobby horsing our particular justice issues there are no aisles here. There's no red and there's no blue. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Now, I understand the system we live in and we have to make choices. By all means, do that. In fact, I love that this church is pretty diverse along those lines. Did you know that? We have all kinds of different views in here. Y'all are weird. I love Santa Fe. But when it comes to Jesus, there's no red, there's no blue, there's purple. 
As those colors mix together, we get purple. He cares about all the justice issues on all sides. Jesus tells us we, we, we cannot just pick the ones that matter to us. We have to care about the born and the unborn, the young and the old, the alien, the stranger, the refugee, the addict, and people just like you and me who have just as much need. We don't get to choose because Christ chose us. So instead of politicizing the ethics of the kingdom in the sixth commandment, Jesus says, don't politicize, kingdomize. Because Jesus, he has a royal robe. It's not red, it's not blue, it's purple, and he reigns over the entire universe. Perhaps that's why that the ancient church fathers, as they were going around the Roman Empire, which by the way, if you didn't know, was pretty hostile to Christians. And if you didn't know, the church exploded there because this gospel of grace was a new and beautiful thing. An ancient church father told his students, as you go to plant churches, do two more things for the glory of God. Start schools and open up hospitals. Plant churches, start schools, and open up hospitals. Because that approach... That approach is what shines forth the kingdom of God to the world. That we are not some sort of self-righteous country club of people who have it all together. But instead, we are saved by the grace of God in great need of that grace every single day. And the doors are wide open to the people in our community who need the same. Perhaps that's why that after the resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament, the sixth commandment bloomed like a beautiful tree with good fruit all across the Roman Empire. And everywhere in the empire, they would have said, well, yeah, we don't like this thing, so discard it, or that person's too old, or that person's too sick, or that person's too poor. All across the empire, the disciples of Jesus Christ went out and brought life and life to the full, especially to the weak, especially to the least deserving. And that is how the good news of the gospel. That's how the gospel is going to go to all nations. So to conclude, we, we do have our smoking guns. We have to be honest about that. I don't want to be. I just want to tell you guys your issues. But here we are, all standing under the word of God and in need of his grace. We have our smoking guns. They may look different, but the smoke rises nonetheless. And yet, even here, if it is true that Jesus has risen, that Jesus is alive, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that we are his, the sixth commandment to us does not become a burden, but an opportunity to bloom and blossom into the life of Christ and to bring that very life to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word in the sixth commandment. Lord, help us to be those who turn from the deathly and murderous ways of self-love in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Lord, you know our hearts and you know, you know the anger. You know where there's gossip and slander. You know where there have been insults. Lord, you know the people we've just written off. They're dead to us. Or the places we are so afraid to pursue reconciliation. You know all those things. And yet, Jesus, your response to us, 
is not to become frustrated as we come once again with our need, but instead to feed us again from your table. So I pray, Lord, as we come to this table, all the promises that we have just heard preached would become as true to us as the juice on our lips and the bread in our mouths, that we would know by faith that we once again have access to all your promises, that in our weariness you invite us to sit down and eat and be filled that we might be sent, that you have come not only for us but for the world to bring life and life to the full. Amen.